New details in the back-to-school plan. When it comes to options, BC is a diverse province, and there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. A remote learning option for students with no guarantee every school will offer it. Another used needle prick. He got jabbed with something that, you know, was obviously not very sterile. The latest young victim of a recurring danger in Victoria. And the boom that knocked his Crocs off. So the, the left one was blown probably 12 feet across the road. How this man survived the lightning strike. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. With less than two weeks until kids are back in school, the government is releasing more details on its plans to keep children safe. The education ministry says the priority is getting kids back into class and there will be remote learning options too. But as John Waugh reports, it's still unclear who will qualify. Are you ready for mommy school? Gearing up for more lessons from the living room. Kay Banez isn't ready to send her children to school come September. I know there are still a lot of parents who are very weary about this updated plan. Banez says her 8-year-old son Lazarus has autism and should be offered remote learning options. A way to accommodate his special needs but keep him connected with his school. It's impossible for him to adhere to the safety protocols um, being in class. Um, he's not able to um, understand boundaries or safety. Remote learning not outlined in the B.C. government's updated back-to-school guidelines. Released alongside specific plans from 60 school districts across the province. And that's why our goal continues to be ensuring most students can safely return to the classroom full-time this year. To do so, elementary and middle schools will have 60 student learning groups or cohorts. The size grows to 120 students in high school. Masks will be worn in high traffic areas and outside learning groups. There will also be staggered entry, recess, lunch and exit times. There are layers of protection in schools that are very different uh, and, and configured uh, for a school setting. We've learned a lot from other jurisdictions that are also uh, planning a safe reopening of their school. In Surrey High School, students will be on a quarter system with two courses in each, 30 students per learning group. Some blocks will be a mix of online, face-to-face, and blended learning. People are calling for uh, options, uh, options to uh, educate their children, whether that's through a hybrid system, uh, of course, looking also at the uh, distributed learning or the independent distributed learning. But in the smaller Sea to Sky district, it's 100% in-class instruction. Secondary students will also be on a quarter system. There is room for adjustments if blocks get too crowded. It will look differently in different parts of the province. We wouldn't seek to impose a solution on Arrow Lakes that wouldn't work for Vancouver, nor, nor vice versa. When it comes to remote learning, the education minister said it was his expectation districts will accommodate special needs students, but would not make it mandatory. What worries me is, you know, the minister today saying some school, it's up to the school district, some may uh, offer that, some may not. A petition has already been launched by Autism BC to make remote learning mandatory across all school districts. It's mind-boggling that we have to go through all this lengths to get resources and support. Without it, many parents are worried the first lesson of the school year will be coping with fear. John Hua, Global News. Two B.C. fathers have launched a lawsuit in a bid to modify the government's back-to-school plan. It's been filed by Bernard Trest and Gary Schuster, who both have immunocompromised family members. 
The suit, filed in B.C. Supreme Court, calls for the government to implement tougher COVID-19 measures inside schools. That includes reducing class sizes, making masks mandatory, and better virtual learning options. A hearing date has not yet been set. Right now, there is a plan, but it needs to be extensively modified in order to make it safe. So just as an example, um, there, is a man- there is masks that are mandated in hallways, but in order to keep safe, this should be mandatory inside of classrooms because we know that in classrooms, there will be a spike in transmissions. The children are going to be in very close proximity, and that's how COVID-19 spreads. Meantime, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has announced $2 billion in back-to-school funding. The cash will be distributed to provincial and territorial governments to help them ensure kids can safely return to class. The money will be split among regions based on student numbers. This money, which will flow through the new Safe Return to Class Fund, will help keep students and teachers safe as schools reopen. Our children must always be our top priority as parents and as governments. Once people know their kids are safe, they can get back to work with less worries. And here's a look at today's COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have 62 new cases, bringing our total to 5,304. No new deaths, so that number stays at 203. There are 21 people in hospital, 7 in the ICU. 4,199 people are considered fully recovered, leaving us with 896 active cases, only the second decline of that number in several weeks. And we have 2,730 people in isolation. More ICBC horror stories connected to COVID-19 tonight from frustrated people trying to book driver's tests. We told you on Tuesday about huge delays and a crashing website. And now some people say they're being forced to go to great lengths, quite literally, to cut their waiting time. Aaron MacArthur reports. Make sure you got your L on there. Got it. Like so many people, Brianna Wheeler's son has been waiting months to transition from his L to his N. The next available road test in Langley, where they live, isn't until January. And my fear is that if COVID gets out of control again and they close everything down, then it's going to be even longer away. Sick of waiting, she took matters into her own hands. She found a spot to take the test in Cranbrook. We're going to do an overnight trip. I've already found a local driving school and uh, booked him for a morning test so he can learn the roads there briefly. And then we're doing the test at, I think, 2.10 in the afternoon and then driving the 10 hours home. Testing is taking longer. Examiners required to wear PPE, even clean test takers' cars. The delays adding to a backlog of people who since March have been unable to try for their Class 5 or 7 license. So many people tried to book online this week, the servers crashed. In Metro Vancouver, the current wait time is 150 days. I mean, when we think about uh, the road testing environment, it's, it's incredibly unique, and you've got two people in close quarters for up to an hour at a time, so we couldn't skimp on, on any safety precautions. According to some people, the backlog doesn't explain all the delay. Before COVID, Constance Head's daughter waited months to get a test spot. And now they have to go to Kelowna or risk having her L expire. Already before when she had tried to get her license already a, a year ago, there was three months between each time she would try. ICBC says fewer than 1% of people needing tests are booking outside their home city. But with wait times 
three months longer in Metro Vancouver than anywhere else in BC. For some people, it's an option worth exploring. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A man suffered minor injuries in a shooting at a Kelowna hotel today. RCMP responded around 11 a.m. to reports of shots fired at the Ramada Hotel on Harvey Avenue. According to police, they found a man suffering an apparent gunshot wound. He was treated at the scene for minor injuries. Witnesses describe hearing gunshots before seeing a suspect fleeing the area. Anyone with information is urged to contact Kelowna RCMP. The second of two Vancouver police officers testified before the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner with his version of events from March 2016. That's when a wellness check turned violent, prompting the public hearing to determine if police misconduct occurred. Before Ramina Dea's report, a warning, some of the images are disturbing. With his foot in the door, VPD Constable Eric Ludeman testified he grabbed Vladimir Chaikun's arm because he would not allow him in the home to check if Chaikun's wife was safe. I really underestimated um, how much resistance there would be. I grabbed Mr. Chaikun by the forearm. Um, and it was like he was carved out of oak. I, I pulled him and he didn't move an inch. Within seconds, Ludeman and Chaikun, an engineer, are engaged in a violent brawl in the bathroom. It starts to basically spin out of control at that point. Okay. What do you mean by spin out of control? Uh, well, what happens next is, again, we both sort of exchange this punch, um, but it's we're so close, we're, we're almost like face to face. So it's sort of this, we both get like a glancing blow um, and then we're grabbing each other um, by the clothing, almost as if it's like a hockey fight. Chaikun, 60 at the time, punched, kicked, and beaten with a baton by four officers before he's handcuffed. Uh, his action, his aggression, his use of power, uh, abuse of uh, force, it's unbelievable. And you had waited there for another 30 seconds, Natalia may well have appeared, and none of this would have happened, correct? If he hadn't closed the door on me, that certainly could have happened. Well, wait a minute, your foot's in the door, he can't close the door. Counsel for the OPCC highlighting significant discrepancies between Constable Ludeman's evidence versus his partner, Constable Neil Logan. Ludeman told the hearing he stands by his actions. It was a profoundly negative experience, and it's tough to hear the family say they no longer trust police. Romina Dea, Global News. A Coquitlam man is now facing bylaw violation charges after an alleged dog attack in the Burke Mountain area earlier this week. The owners of 10-year-old Romeo say a man was walking on Highland Street with five off-leash dogs when the canines viciously attacked the smaller dog. They screamed for help as the dog lay bleeding and the other dog owner was captured on video calmly walking away, even flipping them the bird. Romeo underwent surgery and is now at home. A 36-year-old Coquitlam man is facing five counts of having animals at large. While the overdose crisis is worse than ever and the number of deaths climb, another disturbing trend is emerging. There's been a growing number of incidents involving people being pricked by used syringes. The latest victim, a 15-year-old boy. Brad McLeod reports. And he was sitting in the grass, and as he went to lay down, a needle had poked him in the back. 
Jaina Forgey's 15-year-old son was in Saanich visiting friends at this popular and usually problem-free Rutledge Park. The issues that are downtown Victoria are, you know, coming into other neighborhoods now. In the last month, several scary incidents involving syringes. This one found by Victoria Police taped to a handrail in busy Beacon Hill Park, visibly used with traces of blood. A man was just jabbed by this needle while walking in the same park. And the latest in the capital city happened near the increasingly violent encampment outside City Hall in Centennial Square. A park bench in Victoria where the needle was actually placed in such a way with the intent to cause injury to someone who would have sat on that bench. The mayor bringing back counsel from break saying, I am calling a special closed council meeting on Thursday so that council can receive legal advice on options for better managing the encampment situation in the city. But the situation may have spread to neighboring communities. As far as we can tell, this is an isolated incident. But sadly, sadly, with the opioid crisis, we're finding needles all around the region. If you find a needle, you can call Saanich Police. Uh, we will come and take care of those needles and discard them appropriately. I hope that there's more safe disposal boxes um, put around the neighborhood or uh, more f uh, frequent cleanings, more thorough cleanings. The injury, just the beginning. Her son will be taking blood tests for months to make sure he didn't contract anything. We just kind of have to sit and wait and do these blood tests and, and hope that nothing changes. Brad McLeod, Global News, Saanich. And a number of people are facing drug trafficking charges after an undercover investigation by Victoria Police. In mid-August, officers posed as customers purchasing drugs from tents located in Centennial Square. The drugs included methamphetamine, cocaine, magic mushrooms, and fentanyl. Seventeen people are facing charges. Twelve others remain wanted on warrants. It's one of the most beautiful places in the province, but locals say it's being trashed by tourists. What they're doing about it in Tough City in just over a minute. The second storm to hit the U.S. Gulf Coast is a lot more powerful than the first. The biggest threat from Hurricane Laura later on the news hour. And while we were all admiring a recent spectacular lightning storm, this guy was picking himself up and himself up off the ground. The strike that blew his Crocs off later. But first, more controversy tonight on Vancouver Island over one community's struggle with the unpleasant side effect of more in-province tourism. An unexpected wave of tourists is causing problems in Tofino with illegal camping and garbage. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, not everyone is blaming the pandemic. Tofino is one of the province's most spectacular coastal destinations. No wonder tourists flock here. Sadly, not everyone treats it with respect, particularly this year. What we're not used to is this volume of trash. And a lot of that is takeout food containers, beverage containers, having some real challenges with recycling. This is an issue we see every summer, but this season is exacerbated because there's more takeaway, more plastics being used. The district of Tofino puts the blame squarely on the shoulders of those tourists who fail to pick up after themselves and leave the cleanup to others. It's a lot of work for the district of Tofino staff and for the residents who live here and um, we're doing everything we can to stop this. But Vancouver Island developer Chris Lefebvre thinks otherwise. They're blaming it on those that are visiting. That's not fair. 
you know that you've got a lot of people coming to the town, you tool up for it. They haven't done that. The district says that budget cuts due to COVID-19 forced them to reduce the number of bylaw officers this year. The group that has taken a leadership role in the cleanup effort, Surf Rider Pacific Rim, has a different take on the situation. I don't think there's a need to blame anyone, even in summers where they have a full bylaw enforcement. Even then, we are seeing litter. Surfrider believes there needs to be better enforcement, but also a massive behavioral shift that comes with appreciation of our environment. Among their initiatives towards that goal... With the hashtag 5 Clean, we're encouraging locals and visitors alike to lead their own solo cleanups, to also pack out what they pack in, but to clean up areas and make it better than when they found it. Fail to collect your own trash next year and you'll more than likely be collecting a $200 fine. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Crews searching for a missing hiker are still hopeful. 52-year-old Ali Safar Naderi was last seen hiking on Eagle Mountain in Coquitlam on Sunday. RCMP say progress has been made in the physical search and investigation into his disappearance, although they've still not located Naderi. Search conditions remain favorable. Coquitlam RCMP released a photo on Tuesday from video footage taken of Naderi. Cops say he entered the backcountry without sharing his plans and was missing some essential equipment. As far as the investigation into why this this has happened or any of the circumstances behind this disappearance, there is nothing to indicate anything criminal. We're not going to be going into the particular state of mind of Mr. Nadiri. We're simply focused on trying to recover him safely. Valuable artifacts stolen from the Hockey Hall of Fame in the Okanagan. What this guy was after is something a lot of Canucks fans wish they owned. And the top scams infecting your phone. It's no coincidence they're COVID-related. Still seeing delays for southbound traffic over here off the North Shore to the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. The lineup starts about midway down the cut on the approach. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in North Vancouver. Crime Stoppers would like to hear from you if you recognize this guy. He's alleged to have stolen two autographed Canucks jerseys from the BC Hockey Hall of Fame in Penticton. They say it happened on August 14th, around 12.30 in the afternoon. The suspect broke into two cabinets containing jerseys that were signed by the Sedin twins. Surveillance video shows the man leaving with the jerseys and driving away in a 1995-2001 to green Ford Explorer. Well, you've probably had a phone call claiming you owe the government money and you could end up in jail if you don't pay up fast. It's one of the many phone scams and the COVID-19 pandemic has seen an increase in fraudsters preying on Canadians who are sometimes not quite sure what to believe. Global Sean O'Shea has more on what you can do to protect yourself. The global pandemic, it's created a health care and economic crisis. But for scammers, it's been an opportunity. Just ask one of the world's most famous former fraudsters, someone I met 25 years ago. Yes, sir. Good to see you again. Been a long time. Frank Abagnale wrote the book on financial scamming. It's been a while since I've done this. Steven Spielberg made a movie about his life called Catch Me If You Can. 
It showed how the real Frank pretended to be an airline pilot, using charm to live on someone else's money. I have a payroll check here and like to cash. We encountered Frank Abagnale in Cleveland. Between the ages of 16 and 21, of course, I wrote more than two and a half million dollars worth of bad checks in 26 foreign countries. He educated bank employees on how to protect themselves against fraudsters. I forged all your checks. Using computers and some cunning, he created bogus checks that could later be cashed. All I'm going to do is scan Global Television Network's logo onto my screen of my computer. At the time, fraud was beginning to boom. They're doing it to the tune of $10 billion a year in America and $3 billion a year in Canada. Now Abagnale's helping a Canadian bank educate consumers about the scams we all face today. This is Catch the Scam. There's a series of public service videos. Fifty years after running financial scams, Abagnale says modern-day crooks are more ruthless. There is no compassion, there is no emotion, and they will steal every dime they can from you. Who's most vulnerable? Millennials are scammed more often than seniors, but seniors lose more money from those scams. Many begin with an automated phone call. He says it's best to quickly hang up. If I stay on the phone and listen to the pitch, or I think I'm going to outsmart the guy and play games with the guy on the phone, I'm going to get more robocalls. There are two red flags in nearly every scam. People asking for information and... Money. And that has to be paid immediately, right now on the phone. And Abagnale has another cardinal rule. I do not own a debit card. Whatever he buys goes on a credit card. I spend the credit card company's money. My money sits in a money market account earns interest. And Abagnale has one more warning. Despite your best efforts, anyone can be scammed, even me. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. A pair of those much maligned, rubberized, casual shoes is at the center of a miraculous survival story on Bowen Island. Cal Meisner says he was struck by lightning outside of his home when he went out during a thunderstorm to roll up his truck's windows. He says the blast left him dazed, crawling back to his house and blew his Crocs right off his feet. And while science says the shoes didn't save him, he says he's still glad he had them on. So the, the left one was blown probably 12 feet across the road. So across our road, there's a concrete retaining wall, and the shoe was actually blown up against that wall, and the right one was kind of blown under the truck. So they will definitely be my lucky shoes. You know, they're not very flattering in terms of fashion statement, but I have a newfound appreciation for Crocs, for sure. They're, they're camo, too. He was lucky to found them out there. Well, stop us if you've heard this one. A bear walks into a liquor store. It's not a joke. We'll show you where in B.C. this actually happened. And a four-year-old golfer does something most golfers will never do in a lifetime. steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, but do keep in mind that overnight maintenance has you down single-lane traffic both ways between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Need to renew your car insurance? Call BCAA to save, get better coverage, or both. Visit bcaa.com slash icbc. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
A yacht burns and sinks off the coast of Italy. The 50-meter Lady MM was heading to Sardinia from Capri when the fire broke out. 17 people, eight tourists and nine crew members were on board, but managed to escape to a smaller boat where they were rescued by the Italian Coast Guard. Not long after burning down to its hull, the yacht then slipped under the water. An arrest has been made in a deadly shooting during a Black Lives Matter protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Two people were killed, a third injured, and late today, a 17-year-old was arrested. We want to warn you, some of the video in this story is disturbing. Clean up in Kenosha after protests turned deadly. Police have arrested 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse and charged him with intentional homicide after a third night of protests ended with two people fatally shot and another injured in a community already on edge. Violence to property, violence to people, absolutely unacceptable. The outrage growing nightly in the wake of Sunday's shooting of 29-year-old Jacob Blake. Thankfully, Mr. Blake is alive and recovering from that, that incident. The incident caught on camera, showing police firing shots at Blake, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. His life will be forever changed. This community is going to be forever changed. The state of Wisconsin is, is quite honestly, forever changed. You look at the incident uh, that, that followed. This disturbing video posted online overnight, showing a person carrying a rifle and shots heard in the streets. Despite Blake's family pleas for peaceful protests, people still defying curfew orders. Please, let's begin to pray for healing for our nation. We are the United States. Have we been united? A family, a community, and a nation grappling with how to move forward. Wendy Wolfolk, NBC News. And the NBA has postponed all three playoff games tonight as players across the league refuse to play as a statement against racial injustice. Uh, racial injustice, make that. Squire is going to have much more on that part of the story coming up later in sports. Another lawsuit arising from the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other people. This one from the helicopter company. Island Express Helicopters is suing two air traffic controllers, saying the crash was caused by a series of erroneous acts and or omissions. The company says among the mistakes, one of the controllers failed to brief the second on the status of the chopper during a shift change. At least four lawsuits have been filed against Island Express helicopters. A new study is providing a pretty stark warning about the future of local media in this country. The Canadian Association of Broadcasters says up to 40 local TV outlets and 200 radio stations could close over the next three years. Falling ad revenue has been made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. The group says media outlets across the country could face a $1.06 billion shortfall by the end of 2022. The group is calling on the CRTC to establish a fair and sustainable future for local media. It's also asking the federal government to provide some emergency relief. Well, this may sound like the beginning of a joke, but it was no laughing matter when a bear walked into a liquor store in Revelstoke on Monday. Take a look. Surveillance video shows the bear walking down the street when it suddenly enters the store. The door had been left open to allow for touchless entry due to the pandemic. There it goes. It 
was after something in there, I guess. The bear began strolling down the aisle with a customer only a few feet away. Thankfully, it wasn't long before it decided to turn around and leave, and it did so without doing any damage. The owner of the store jokes the bear may have been looking for the business next door, which is a bar called the Grizzly. Bears are apparently a common sight in downtown Revelstoke in the fall. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. (laughs) All right, we are soon going to get a snapshot into the impact COVID-19 restrictions are having on seniors living in long-term care homes. A new survey launching today is asking residents and their families to share their experiences. As Grace Key reports, families are calling for more immediate solutions. 82-year-old Bill Shillard survived his bout with COVID at Lynn Valley Care Center back in March. But as his daughter described in July, it's what happened the following weeks that took a heart-wrenching toll. My dad can't get outside unless somebody can take him outside downstairs. So my poor dad is stuck inside this little room for four and a half months. It's, it's like jail. Kelly went from visiting her dad almost every day to no visits because of the pandemic. Eventually, she saw him once a week for 30 minutes separated by plexiglass. She was allowed more visits than others because her father was end of life. They're not coming up with any creative solutions to figure this out because our parents have been stuck in their rooms for months now and nobody would... would would have good mental health if they were in that situation. BC's seniors advocate wants to hear from families about their experiences at long-term care and assisted living facilities, hoping to come up with a balance in the future. Yes, we want to keep people safe from COVID-19. But what are we keeping them safe for if it is not to enjoy what is left of their life? On Saturday, Bill Shillard passed away at the hospice. Kelly believes the limited visits at the care facility shortened his life. At his bedside, she helped with his care and kept him engaged with the world. The real issue, without a shadow of a doubt, is that there are not enough people working in these care homes to care for our elderly people. The survey is available at carehomevisits.ca and can be completed until September 30th. A report in October will hopefully provide a humane solution that everyone can live with. Grace Key, Global News. Straight ahead, a Canadian TikTok sensation. How he's using the platform to entertain and teach at the same time. Also coming up tonight, residents along the U.S. Gulf Coast prepare for a storm that's going to look a lot like Katrina. Get there. Get there. Get there. Get in the hole. Go in the hole. <laughs> well, a little coaxing from Dad there. We'll show, it how, show you how it all worked out right after what? Yvonne's forecast. Rocco. Rocco. Little four-year-old knows what he's doing. Now, just before the forecast, Hurricane Laura is gaining strength in the Gulf of Mexico and is on a crash course with Louisiana and Texas coasts. And that could happen as early as tonight or maybe into Thursday morning, forcing hundreds of thousands of people to evacuate the area. Tonight, across Texas and Louisiana, Hurricane Laura's message loud. The Category 4, that was reason enough to leave. 
and clear. If you're going to leave, now is the time to do it. The storm swelling into a Category 4 monster. In its path, more than half a million people facing mandatory evacuations. You gotta listen to Mother Nature. You gotta listen to what it tells you. In Louisiana, no stranger to hurricanes, the governor calling this one different. This storm is going to be more powerful than Rita. Laura's now packing winds topping 140 miles an hour. With an up to 20-foot storm surge, the National Weather Service describing it in the starkest terms, unsurvivable. Here in Cameron, Louisiana, where the eye of the storm is expected to pass, we're already seeing Laura's impact. Low-lying streets underwater as those Gulf waters start to rise. The community crushed by Hurricane Rita back in 2005. An overnight ghost town, except for 87-year-old Henry McCall. Henry, they're saying this storm surge is going to be unsurvivable. And here you are. Yes, the last minute I may leave, but right now I'm still debating what to do. Those who did flee finding a new problem. Shelters running out of room because of social distancing for COVID-19. In Lake Charles, with a precious few hours till landfall, stores are boarded up, gas stations empty, as the reality of what's to come sinks in. We've got mattresses if we got to climb under them or, you know, we're just prepared for anything. Tonight, the Gulf Coast, bracing for impact. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Scary stuff. You get nasty for sure, and that satellite image shows that really defined eye you see in these big storms. It's incredible. It's strengthening now, so expect it to land and make landfall as a Category 4 or 5, and the storm surge is what we're going to continue to watch uh, through the evening hours and leading in towards the morning. So we'll have an update on that. Our weather picture here at home, though, very different. We've had a pleasant day today, a few clouds in the mix, but dry conditions, and we'll continue to see this over the next little while. There is more cloud cover to the airport. Temperatures are sitting at 20. We've got a northwesterly wind at 30 kilometers per hour. Highs today bumped up to 20. We're actually close to the average for this time of the year. On the Almanac, a record on this day. 27 degrees set back in 1950 in the sunset this evening just after 8 o'clock. Overnight tonight will dip down to 12 degrees. There is more cloud cover once again for a few areas tomorrow. Highs will be up to 20 degrees away from the water. 24 with the Humidex inland tomorrow feeling closer to 27. A few spots this evening though a concern for the northeastern corners and the central interior. Still seeing a few showers pop up and a slight risk of a thunderstorm. And then this will be the next weather system that we are tracking across the province. Along the south coast tomorrow, there is more cloud cover along the northern and western edge of the island. And then the next weather maker is going to push in, but it'll be late tomorrow towards the evening and then continuing through the day as we get into Friday. And that'll stay along the north coast. So the northern half of the province, that's where we're tracking the wet weather. A quick glance on the upper level chart where we are seeing dry conditions over the next few days. And on the temperature trend, it is going to warm up Thursday Friday and then a bit of a change as we approach our Saturday Sunday. So the northern half of the province, the wettest place, we are going to see the heavier rain tomorrow evening. Most areas along the south, it warms up closer to 30 degrees and along the south coast remains dry, but we are going to see some cloud cover over the next few days, dry and sunny over the next five. Tonight, central windows, a weather window, a beautiful shot of the sunrise captured by Lorraine in Glatley Bay. Guys? Beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. Sure is. All right, the PGA might have a new young star one day. Take a look at this four-year-old. Get there. Get there. Get there. Get in the hole. Go in the hole. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Rocco. Rocco. 
You just hit a hole in one. <gasps> what? No way. Yes way. Rocco ran down the hill to get a closer look because he couldn't believe it. His dad, Mario, taking him to this par three course near Wheeling, West Virginia, earlier this week where he made that amazing hole in one. He started swinging a golf club when he was three, and he clearly loves it, although he has an unusual grip. He swings right-handed with a left-handed grip, and it works for him. So I don't think we're going to switch it. But uh, the past couple of years, it's, it's been really fun uh, just watching him develop um, really his love for the game because he spends a lot of time out here in the yard hitting golf balls. So it helps when you talk to the ball, too, right after the, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, ball may not have gone in had his dad not coached it. <laughs> Most golfers, when they talk to the ball, are not that's very it. nice. Oh, <laughs> that's true. And when they talk to themselves, people yeah. insult themselves and their clubs. in horrible ways on a golf course. You know? That's true. He's speaking I, from experience. I am speaking from course. experience, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, after being run over in Game 1 against the Golden Knights, the Canucks came back to tie their series with Vegas. Uh, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to go out and dominate that team by any means. you got to find a way to win, and uh, we definitely did that. And we'll talk about how Elias Pettersson was a big part of that bounce back. Also coming up later, a TikTok teacher using the platform to its fullest potential. Canucks getting things back on track? They sure did. Last mm-hmm. night, here's Squire. Yes, I think because you know, the Canucks did not have a great regular season, like, say, the 2011 Vancouver Canucks did. And their main players are young and basically playoff newbies. Every time they lose, there's a whole bunch of pessimism in Canuck Nation. Like, oh, here we go. Last night, Vancouver bounced back, just like they did against Minnesota after the Wild won game one just as they did against St. Louis after losing games 3-4 and four and being down 3-1 in the second period in game five. And they showed Vegas' veteran players that sometimes life can deal you a Scooby-Doo ending where you say, we would have made it if it wasn't for those darn kids. In front, Pedersen scores! What a finish and what a pass from Alex Edler! This was the goal that basically took all the starch out of Vegas. Elias Patterson doing what great players do. No panic around the net. Took the time to make the right move and score. It's another example of how Patterson is showing all the signs of superstardom. Not just the skill, but the will. I think Petey has that quality. He goes about it quietly, but he's, he's a fierce competitor. And um, he wants to win badly. It's not just for personal reasons. He understands that it's more than just about one personal player. Like I said, he puts in the work. Uh, He comes to the rink every day with a purpose. Uh, I think those superstars are guys that his caliber, they just kind of have that look in their eye where they want to be the best and they're going to do whatever they can to be the best. And I don't think Petey's any different than that. What's helping the Canucks as well is the fact that Elias Pettersson and the other young players on this team are very coachable. I've said it before, we're, we're lucky that we have young guys that are humble and they also want to get better. They understand that they still have things to learn as well, even though they have exceptional talent and they work very hard and they want to win, not just for themselves, but for their team. Blocking shots is another example of the Canucks' will to win. Last night, Jacob Markstrom faced 40 Golden Knights shots. 
His teammates also blocked 40 shots. They understand that there is sacrifice needed to win. It's, uh, you know, from the outside, it, sometimes it looks easy to stand and block a shot, but it's not easy. It's, uh, it hurts sometimes, quite frankly. And uh, putting your, yourself in harm's way, and uh, our guys are, are willing to do it. And you don't win if you don't have certain elements in your game, and, and sacrifice and will are, are part of it for sure at this time of the year. A lot of ice bags after last night's game from all those blocked shots. Flyers, Islanders, great start for Philly. Kevin Purple Hayes scores once. And then pretty much the same kind of goal. Kevin Purple Hayes again. Excuse me while I hug this guy. 3-0 at one point for Philadelphia. Then it was 3-1. Then uh, Anthony Beauvillier, 3-2. Islanders are coming back. Giveaway by the Flyers late in the third. J.G. Pajo, we're going to overtime. But in OT, Phil Myers from the point. This shot deflects off the stick of Anders Lee. It gets knuckleball and it gets in the net. So Philadelphia wins 4-3. Well, in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting, the Milwaukee Bucks refused to play Game 5 of their series with Orlando today, and that led to the NBA postponing all three playoff games that were supposed to be played tonight. Games tomorrow, which include Toronto and Boston starting their series, may also be postponed. We don't know yet. But the real question is, will the NBA players continue to finish the season? There is a big meeting right now to discuss how the NBA should further respond. And this was the scene in Orlando as the Bucks and Magic did not take the floor. Players stayed in the dressing room. The NBA quickly told officials they can leave. There would be no game. In the WNBA, the Washington Mystic players wore T-shirts with simulated bullet holes in them. And players wore letters that spelled out Jacob Blake's name. All of their games were postponed as well. There were a couple of baseball games postponed, including one involving the Milwaukee Brewers, and five MLS games have been postponed. There you go. Right. A lot of momentum to the movement right now, it seems. Thanks very much, Squire. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jada Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Thank you, Sophie. We'll have a deeper look tonight at the Bone Island man who says a pair of Crocs helped save his life. Plus, there's been another potential COVID-19 exposure at a Yaletown bar. Vancouver Coastal Health is warning anyone who is at the banter room on mainland between August 20th and 22nd to self-monitor for symptoms. Plus, a serious motorcycle crash has closed the Duffy Lake Road portion of Highway 99 near Pemberton. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. And when we come back, a First Nations hoop dancer making the most of the TikTok spotlight. Coming up. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, you've probably heard or even used that video app TikTok, but did you know there's a very popular creator here in Canada? Global's Morgan Black has more on one man who's using his influence to educate. In a sea of TikTok dance challenges, James Jones is adding his own flair. 
I'll never usually just take a video and do the exact same thing. I'll, I'll always try to put like my own indigenous perspective or my own, my own personal way on it. It's caught a lot of attention. Right now, the Edmontonian has one million followers on the app. Love me. In March, Jones was at home like the rest of us. He started posting comedic videos on TikTok without much traction. Then he started dancing. And that one just kind of blew up and went viral. So, you know, that one, I think, ended up getting like almost 3 million views. Now he's using his rapidly growing influence to educate. I was taught that as Indigenous people, our hair is an extension of our spirit. And to always braid my hair with positive thoughts so I can carry that energy with me throughout the day. It wasn't long ago my people were forced to cut their hair in residential schools. So I braid my hair to honor my ancestors. Jones is having fun on the app. But he takes his influence seriously. I feel like a lot of times our stories are told by non-Indigenous people, so it's really important to have that representation within our community. His videos include many aspects of Indigenous culture. I was taught that you know the hoop dance represents healing, so originally it was a healing dance, and it's a storytelling dance as well. Those videos bring in messages of support from Indigenous followers. I get a lot of people are saying, hey, you know, I wasn't raised in my community or like I was adopted. I never knew about this stuff. I'm so thankful you're sharing. You know, those are the comments that I really enjoy. Though his star is rising, Jones is sticking to the content that matters most to him. It doesn't change what I create. Like I'm still going to talk about what needs to be talked about. I'm still going to raise awareness about what's happening in, in my communities. Morgan Black, Global News. He's a wizard with those hoops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, and with Crazy. TikTok to be able to put mm-hmm. that stuff together. Fantastic. He makes it look easy. Yeah. But I don't think it is. <laughs> no, no doubt. All right, let's uh, talk about the weather over the next little while. Still looking pretty good over the next few days. Hey, Yvonne? Yeah, pleasant. Uh, we've got sunshine. A few clouds will be in the mix, but temperatures away from the water tomorrow, feeling closer to 27 degrees. We'll round off the week with uh, highs up to 22. Approaching the weekend, it'll be dry, but we may have a few clouds in there in the mix. And then leading in towards next week, it looks dry as well. So the next five days, sunny and dry. Nice way to slowly start to wrap up summer vacation. No doubt. Thanks very much for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.